Well, thank you, worship team. I love those songs. I love the message of them. There's nothing better than our Lord Jesus Christ. There is nothing that he can't do. Uh, Those are powerful songs, powerful messages, and they really segue into today's uh, new series of messages that we're going to be doing. Uh, I call the series On the Way to the Resurrection, and it's really focusing on the last week's of Jesus' life. Do you know that the gospel places its most, uh, most of its emphasis on the last days of Christ's life? Why does it do that? Why, does, uh, why do the gospel writers so mu- write so much about the uh, suffering, the arrest, and the death, and burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ? Why is that? Because it is the most important thing, the most important event in all of history. It says the death and resurrection of Jesus is the most important event of all history. It still is transforming power, which can impact every generation right into eternity. We need to understand the implications for us for this. It's pivotal for every person, every believer, to understand the resurrection of Jesus Christ and how it impacts their life in such a way to transform them. If you think about it, every healing that Jesus did was temporary for time and space in that person's life. I mean, everything that he taught was to push people to expand their capacity to understand that Jesus was going to suffer and die for their sins. But the resurrection, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, uh, it has so much grander, so much more impact. If you don't know where you're going after you die, if you don't understand the implications of the death and resurrection of Jesus on your own life, then you're missing the message and the importance of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, to the disciples, Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection was really not understood until after he was resurrected and appeared to them. They didn't quite get it. But I believe there was a woman in the Bible, in the New Testament, that understood more about what Jesus was doing than most did. Her name was Mary of Bethany. She was the sister of Martha and Lazarus. And Jesus was very close to Lazarus, and often he would meet with Lazarus in his home with the disciples, and they would have dinner together. And one of those dinners is recorded in Luke chapter 10, and it talks about the disciples coming together, and Martha is preparing a dinner for Jesus. Would you like to have Jesus in your home for dinner? I mean, it would be a lot of pressure. And so she's preparing. She's worried about everything. She's anxious about it. She's trying to get everything ready together. And then she looks over at her sister Mary, and Mary is sitting down listening to what Jesus is teaching, what he's saying. She's hanging on every word. In fact, every time you find Mary of Bethany in the Bible, she's at the feet of Jesus. She's always at his feet, always listening, always praying, always thinking. And I think it's a characteristic of Mary of Bethany that we could all learn from. 
But Luke chapter 10, verses 40 and 42 says this, She, Martha, had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. And then this is what Martha says. She, Martha, had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. This is what Jesus says. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. You see, Jesus rebukes Martha for not for, you know, hosting a dinner, but by being so worried and anxious about it that she's so distracted that she doesn't sit at the feet of Jesus like Mary does. And Mary is listening intently. In fact, whenever we see Mary, she's always at the feet of Jesus. And it says that uh, Mary had chosen the better thing, to be in his presence, to listen to his words. We can learn a lot from Mary's life. There's another instance in, chap- in John chapter 11. And this is a devastating time in Mary's life. Her brother Lazarus has died, and Jesus has delayed coming to see him. Now, Mary knows that Jesus could heal Jesus. Jesus could heal Lazarus by just speaking a word. She believes that. She understands that he is God, that he can do anything, that he is the Messiah. And then what happens is that Jesus finally comes, but Lazarus has been dead for four days. Jesus has not appeared on time. Her hope that Jesus would come and heal her brother Lazarus has not come to fruition. It says this, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, what does she do? She falls at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Mary again falls at Jesus' feet, but this time she's pouring out her heart, her grief, her brokenness. She's saying, Lord, if you had been here, I know you have the power to heal, but it's too late. The Bible says that Jesus was overcome by the people's emotion and Mary's emotion. He began to to weep, it says. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone across the entrance, a huge stone. And he said, take away the stone. And this is what Martha says. Again, being very practical, Martha says this, but Lord, the sister of, she says, by this time, there's a bad odor for he has been there for four days. And then Jesus says, did I not tell you that if you believe, you'd see the glory of God? And I can only imagine as Mary is listening to this, she's saying, oh boy, Jesus is about to do something. Jesus is about to do something. And so they took away the stone and they looked, and Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here that they may believe that you sent me. And when he said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said, take off the grave clothes and let him go. And it's an amazing miracle. Jesus raises Lazarus 
from the dead. I mean, the crowd, the people that had come from Jerusalem that had known Lazarus, it says there was a great crowd there, and they saw this miracle. Well, all the, you know, people are saying, this is no mere man. There's something special about Jesus. Now, Mary already knows this, and so there's another dinner party that is planned, and Martha is hosting again. And at this time, uh, this special dinner party takes place just a week, uh, just about a week before Jesus' death. And so what happens is that Jesus is there, and I want you to look at this uh, video that explains that word for word is taken from Mark chapter 14, 1 through 11, and it's done by the LUMO Project, a uh, Bible project that they've done, and they've put the words and the actors here for us to listen to. So take a listen to this. Now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. While he was in Bethany reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor, and they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you. And you can help them any time you want. But you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. So the woman there in that uh, in that movie, the woman is identified in John chapter 12 as Mary of Bethany. It is Mary. Mark does not name her, but it is Mary. We know that from the gospel account of John chapter 12. And there she is. She is taking an alabaster jar. She's taking an alabaster jar. And this was a jar that was probably full of about a pint of spikenard perfume. It was the most precious perfume known at that time. It probably had come from Nepal near India, and uh, it was imported. And it was uh, usually given to a woman. If a woman had that in her family, it was probably her dowry for some time when she was to be married. It could have been. 
but it was Mary's most precious possession. And she opens up or this or breaks the seal on this jar, and she begins to pour it on Jesus' head. The Gospel of John says she even poured it on his feet. If you can imagine a pint of water, that's quite a bit to pour on somebody's head. It's going to stream down Jesus completely. And then she has even leftover to put on his feet. And it is a beautiful act of worship to Jesus. But it has deeper implications. It's almost like in an anointing that Jesus, that Mary anoints Jesus before he dies. Now, if you were going to anoint a king, you'd anoint him with oil. Mary anoints Jesus with perfume. And perfume is usually used, that much perfume would be used on a dead body. Mary is recognizing that Jesus has come to die for the sins of the world. But a lot of people don't recognize that. They misinterpret what Mary's doing. Look at what it says in Mark chapter 14. It says, Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, Why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. You see, the, the worth of that perfume was probably in today's dollars $50,000. Now, it's not practical to pour out $50,000 on somebody. I mean, I mean, for them, it's, it's a whole year's wages. And, and that some of the disciples, including Judas, are saying, hey, look, it, we could have used that money and given it to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Because they just didn't disagree with her. Those words are that they yelled at her. They thought she was wrong. But you know what she did? She did what she could do. You see, Jesus says this. He says, leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. Jesus turned the whole thing around. He said, this is something beautiful that she's done for me. The poor you'll always have with you. And you can help them at any time. Jesus was not saying, don't neglect the poor. Don't worry about the poor. What he was saying is this, that when you are so in love with me, you will be also in love with the poor and caring for them. He said, you'll not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to what? To prepare for my burial. You see, Mary gives us an example. She did what she could in her worship to God. She... Uh, God, Jesus loves when we do what we can do in our worship for him and our devotion and our service for him. She couldn't stop the arrest of Jesus. She couldn't stop the betrayal of Judas. She couldn't stop the desertion of the other 11 disciples when they came to arrest Jesus. She couldn't stop the political and the religious schemes going on. She couldn't stop the government from doing something to Jesus that they were planning on doing. But she could offer him what she had, and she could do it right then. And so she obeyed the prompting of the Holy Spirit. She did it before everyone else, even though she could be misunderstood. And I think a lot of times, 
We do not worship as we should. We don't serve the Lord as we should because we're afraid of what somebody else might think. Have you ever heard somebody say, hey, don't get too religious. Don't get too committed to that church. Don't follow, don't use all your time. Are you, are you serious? You're tithing your money, 10% of your money you're giving away to God and his kingdom work? But Mary, she was so in love with Jesus that she just had to do it. It says this, this is the result of what happened in Mary's life. It says in John chapter 12, verse 3, says, Then Mary took a pint of pure nard and expensive perfume. It's the other gospel account of this. She poured it on Jesus' feet. And then John records that she not only poured it, that she poured it also on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. You know, when we have an act of worship and devotion, an extravagant love for Jesus, it changes us. It changes us from the inside and from the outside. Do you know that that house was filled with that? that it changed the whole atmosphere of that room. The house was filled with the sweet fragrance of what Mary did. I want to encourage you that your commitment to Jesus Christ, when you pursue a deeper life with Jesus, when you make it... make your mind up to pursue him in a greater way, in a deeper devotion to him, it will change you from the inside, but it also changed the atmosphere that you bring to other people. Your love, your service, your sacrifice to Jesus is never wasted, and it never goes, goes unnoticed by him. He always understands. He always sees what is done in secret for his kingdom, and for his glory. And so I want to encourage you to be like Mary, to do whatever you can do and do it now. You see, Mary was not a procrastinator. She pursued a deeper relationship with Jesus. You know, I often hear people say, you know, I'm going to follow Jesus, you know, more closely after I finish school because school, is, you know, it just takes so much time. I don't have any time to spend with Jesus. Or I'm going to pursue Jesus after I retire because my career is taking up so much time in my family and I, don't, I just don't have the time to devote to Jesus. You know, sometimes we rationalize in our mind. We're kind of like the crowd that was uh, kind of stepped back away from Jesus at a distance. You know, a lot of times people follow Jesus at a distance. Mary followed Jesus up close at his feet. That's the kind of worshipers that the Lord wants us to be. He wants us to be at His feet. He wants to see us there worshiping Him. He wants to see us there when we've been disappointed and broken, weeping before Him. He wants to be the one that we go to first. God can change our lives. You know, I think the Apostle Paul, I think he had... Mary in mind when he wrote this in 2 Corinthians 2, 14 and 15, and it describes how the church is to be, how we are supposed to be when we know Jesus Christ and, he, and we understand his uh, death and his resurrection. But thank God, he made us his captives and continues to lead us along in Christ's triumphal procession. 
Now he uses us to spread the knowledge of Christ everywhere like a sweet perfume. Now we're to be used by God. Our lives are to be used by God, and we're supposed to be a pleasant fragrance. Our lives are supposed to fill the atmosphere of our home, of our relationships, of the places where we work and go to school. It's supposed to uh, exude out of us. Our lives are like Christ-like fragrance rising up to God, and not only are they for other people, but it also rises up to God. But this fragrance is perceived differently by those who are being saved and those who are perishing. You know, as the gospel account goes on, it says this in John chapter 12, verses 4 through 6, but one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected about what Mary was doing with that perfume. And he was the one that vocalized it. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of a money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. Judas was the one who held the money for the disciples to eat, to do the things that they needed to do, even to give the money to the poor. But Judas was dipping into the money bag. Now, for Judas to be able to get this position, I would think that he was probably a practical person. He was probably somebody that could be, seemed to be trustworthy from the outside, seemed to have integrity, seemed to have everything all together, seemed to be committed to Jesus. And so Judas was the keeper of the money. We usually, when we look for people to take care of our finances, we're looking for integrity. What happened to Judas? You know, I believe sometimes Judas is, we're a little bit like Judas. In fact, we can fall into the same thing that happened to Judas. Judas was discouraged. He was disillusioned by how Jesus was going about this, uh, his last weeks of his life. It seemed like Jesus was determined to go to the cross. Jesus was determined not to fight the Romans. Jesus was determined not to start a riot. Jesus was determined to do everything he could to die for the sins of the world. And Judas didn't get it. Judas stood off from afar and criticized so much so that his heart was turned away from Jesus. And it says then he went out to betray Jesus. But Mary is different. Contrast Mary to Judas. Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus. Mary was pouring out her heart to Jesus. Mary was believing and trusting that Jesus knew what was best. Believer, I want to tell you something. I want to warn you about something in your life. There's going to come a time when you're praying about something and God does not answer the prayer the way you thought good. He doesn't do the thing that you thought he should do. That is not a time 
to turn away from Christ, that is a time to lean into him all the more. He wants you to become a person that trusts him completely, is surrendered to him completely. You know, the Bible says in Mark 14, 9, truly I tell you, Jesus said this, whenever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she, what Mary has done, will also be told in memory of her. Jesus linked the message of the gospel with Mary's actions. Jesus linked the memory of Mary to the important message that he had. And this is that he wants to have a relationship, a deeper relationship with you and I. He wants us to experience what it means to have that brokenness before him, that willingness to surrender everything to him. Judas became disillusioned, discouraged from God's plan, and he sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. In today's uh, market, that is equivalent to about $20,000. It's quite a sum of money. But is it worth betraying Jesus? Obviously not. Mark 14 says this, Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray them to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money, so he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. Judas goes further and further and further away from Jesus. His devotion and loyalty and it's a slippery slope that each of us can be on that drifting away from Jesus. And he's calling us back to have a heart of love and worship like Mary had. What are some steps that you can take to develop the kind of heart and the alabaster worship that Mary had? Number one, do what you can. Uh, Paul says in Romans chapter 12, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in view of who Jesus is, all that he's done for you, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. The Apostle Paul defines true, proper worship for us is to surrender. He calls us to be a living sacrifice, What's beautiful about living sacrifices, what was beautiful about the temple worship is that when they did sacrifice, when they did, uh, there was a pleasing aroma, it says. There was a pleasing aroma that filled the temple. And when we are sacrificially giving our lives over to Jesus Christ, our lives become a pleasing fragrance to him and to other people. The other thing, number two thing, is do it now. If you find yourself discouraged or fearful of the future or busy trying to hold your life together, take the counterintuitive approach like Mary. Surrender your life and all you have to Jesus. Worship him. Draw close to him. Give him everything. Open up your heart and everything you have. You know, we all have been given resources. We've been given talents. We've been given gifts. We've been given time. We have a certain amount of time to live on this earth. And Jesus gives us the opportunity to give those things to him. 
Why not do that? Why not follow the prompting of the Holy Spirit, not to procrastinate, but to do it now? 2 Corinthians chapter 2 says this, Now he uses us, now he uses us, to spread the knowledge of Christ everywhere like a sweet perfume. Be a sweet perfume for the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to close with one more story I want to share with you. It's about a man named Vernon Smolovic. He was the lead cellist in the Sarajevo Opera. And he put on his formal black tails one day, sat down in a fire-scorched chair in a bomb crater, and began to play his cello. The crater was outside a bakery in his neighborhood. And 22 people were waiting in line to buy bread. It was scarce then because the war had started. And a, a bomb exploded there and killed all 22 people. Smolovic was lived nearby, and he was going to purchase bread himself. And when he came to the place where the bomb had exploded and saw the carnage, he was shocked. He was broken inside. But you know what he did? For the next 22 days, one for each victim of the bombing, he decided to challenge the ugliness of war with his only weapon, and that was the beauty of his music. He's known as the cellist of Sarajevo. His music reverberated through the city square then. Every day for 22 days, he sat there in the midst of the bombing, sniper. People were scared, but uh, Smolovic continued to dress up each day and play his cello. And miraculously, he was never touched. Miraculously, the war subsided in that area as people listened. He became completely vulnerable, and he was never shot. And after that, he played at many funerals. He played at many places where people were grieving and hurting, and they said his music was so soothing that it lifted the spirits of people. used what he could. He did what he could. He did it right then, and God used it to bless other people. The third point is this. For Christ's sake, do it in love. As you spend time in the Lord's presence, He will guide you and show you where you can share His love and presence with others. You know, like Mary, you can change the atmosphere in your life, in your home, in your network of influence, but remember, do it in love. Do it in love. And I want to close right now with a prayer by Richard Foster. And it's really a prayer of surrender. It's a prayer for God to just say, for us to say to God, Lord, you know, I'm giving you everything. It's kind of like Mary was when she poured the perfume, her most precious possession, $50,000 over head and feet. Let's pray. Lord, I yield myself to you. May your will be my delight today. May you have perfect sway in me. May your love be the pattern of my living. I surrender to you my hopes, my dreams, my ambitions. Do with them what you will, when you will, as you will. I place into your loving care 
my family, my friends, my future. Care for them with a care that I can never give. I release into your hands my need to control, my craving for status, my fear of obscurity. Eradicate the evil. Purify the good. Establish your kingdom in my heart and on this earth. For Jesus' sake I pray. Amen.